glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. I mean, if I said Job, the first word that comes to your mind is vile. Vile. Okay. Uh, Isaiah. How many of you, the first word that comes to your mind is a man that is unclean? A filthy mouth man. <laughs> unclean lips. Uh, Daniel. Um, uh, a man that, um, without strength, a weak man. And then John, a man who's just uh, so afraid to be near the Lord that he's silent and can't speak. But that's the description these men gave him themselves. Job says, I'm a vile man. Uh, Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Daniel said he was without strength and could not speak. John was so afraid in the presence of the Lord that he didn't speak. Um, my point with this tonight, and I believe it's the Lord's point for us, is we might have this idea. How many have ever met somebody and they begin to explain to you how close they are to God? I remember somebody in my, my history as a preacher and a pastor, on a regular basis they would, they would share with me, I surrender to God every day. I always do what he tells me. I am fully surrendered and they they told me that like regularly so so you can forgive me but there was a point where i thought that i don't think it's true <laughs> uh, when we say something over and over trying to convince another many times it's because we're not convinced ourselves right we're trying to convince ourselves you're reading the scripture those who spoke of themselves the most spiritually were the least spiritual so for instance the uh, the lawyers would come to Jesus and talk about they t- their tithes or they would be in the multitudes and they'd sound a, a trumpet and then they would pray. Uh, but when we look at spiritual people in the Bible like John, the penman of Revelation, or the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, he said, O wretched man that I am, who should deliver me from the body of this death? And the, 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 the message for us, it's so plain and so clear, is that the closer we are to the Lord the less impressed we are with ourselves. When we study revival, so if you study what we call revival or quickening or an awakening spiritually in the Bible, one of the primary ingredients for revival is humility. Have any of you ever read, humble yourselves therefore in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up and go, how? I know how to be proud. That is not hard for me. That that is natural. I know how to be impressed with myself. I know how to to find all the evidence that makes me feel good about me. But how to be humble is not natural. It's not natural for anybody. I remember an awakening, and Jeff could attest to this, and if anybody else has been in jail ministry at all, you would think if you went into a jail ministry, there you would find humble men broken by their circumstances. Quite the opposite is true. There you find men who are willing to justify themselves because everything around them has put them where they are, and pride is in every place we go. So the, the solution that we would see to the pride we deal with is we must be near to the Lord. And so as we study these four men tonight, and, I, and again, I, just, I want to be an overview, so I'm, I'm going to try to be brief uh, because I think the message is not hard to see, uh, is that these are men greatly used of God, greatly used of God. And the interesting thing is, These were men who were already faithful to the Lord and in His service when they had a a clearer vision of who the Lord is in their lives. And that's what is in common with each man. They are already men who are faithful. And in their faithfulness to the Lord, their eyes are open to see the Lord in a way they had not seen Him prior. And upon doing that, it completely broke them. It brought them to a place where they were without strength, where there was nothing good they could see in themselves, I do believe this tonight. The nearer we are to God, the more we will abhor our own fleshly nature. Uh, If you want to say, how can I judge or gauge how close I am to the Lord? Well, how impressed am I with myself? The closer I get to God, the clearer I see sin. I believe this, the closer you get to God, the more you'll abhor sin. There are those who would have us believe today that if you're close to God... You are very sympathetic. May I say this? Have sympathy toward a sinner who's condemned, but we'll never be sympathetic toward sin. 
No, no, we're to abhor that which is evil and cleave that which is good. And so what we want to do tonight is just take a, a, a glimpse at these four men to see what the common ground between these four incidents that are recorded in Scripture. We could find more. Uh, the Apostle Peter is another example who, when casting his net, when he was told to cast nets, cast a net and break, he felt the feet of Jesus and he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And so uh, tonight, may the message tonight challenge us to get very focused on simply being close to the Lord. And we get close to the Lord. The Bible has a very simple uh, recipe for being close to the Lord, and that is submit to him. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. And so tonight, may this challenge us to say, you know what I need? I need to be closer to the Lord so that I have a clearer vision of Him. And then we find with all four of these men, after this clear vision of the Lord, in that they had a clearer vision of themselves and a greater usefulness than they even did before. So I'm going to give you just a few things tonight. Let's read in Revelation chapter 1. Stand with me if you would. Let's go ahead and read these verses together. Revelation chapter 1, verse 10 uh, the Apostle John is writing, says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, what thou seest write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters." And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be, Hereafter, the mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars of the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. I want us to note tonight, verse 17, he said, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Thank you, you may be seated. I've entitled the message tonight, I fell at his feet as dead. How many of you have read this in the Bible? Paul said, I die Daily. Now, we know he didn't literally, physically die daily, but in the sense of dying to himself daily, Paul put no stock in himself. In his own natural righteousness, he knew he had none outside of Christ. He put no stock in his own strength. We have a brand of, and pardon me, Paul would say in, in Galatians, it's a gospel, but it's not another, it's another gospel, but it's not the gospel. So we have a brand of Christianity that's not Christianity that really is nothing more than a self-help motivational type of instruction that says, you know what, to do good, just determine and try harder and be better. Friend, that's not Christianity. Christianity is dependence on Christ. That's what Christianity is. And it is a blessed day when we can come to the place in the light of God's holiness to realize in and of ourselves, there's nothing holy. Paul said, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. No good thing. And he goes on to explain why. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. And it's a blessed day when we realize in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ that the reason he came is because we are utterly insufficient to save ourselves. We are utterly insufficient to be sanctified of ourselves or holy or clean. And we are utterly insufficient to serve God in ourselves. Meaning outside of Christ, we cannot have salvation. We cannot serve God. We cannot lay up treasure in heaven. And what we find in the lives of these men through the incidents recorded in Scripture is a point where they were already serving. I think that's what's key tonight. These were not wicked men who had an awakening to their sinfulness and got saved. 
These were righteous men who had an awakening to how utterly dependent they needed to be on God. How many of us believe that John knew the Lord Jesus Christ extremely well before he penned the book of Revelation? But yet we find him seeing Christ in a way he had never seen him in Revelation chapter 1. And so we'll begin tonight as we consider these four men, Job and Isaiah, Daniel and John. I would see Job as a pattern of patience. Faith, he waited on God. He was unwilling to abandon his faith in God, even in the face of tremendous difficulty. Isaiah is a pattern of submissiveness and willingness. He said, here am I, send me. Daniel is a pattern of wisdom. He's known for his wisdom. John, a pattern of love. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved, and yet we know he's the disciple who loved the Lord Jesus very much. And so we find these men as patterns, and yet they are not men who said, boasted, in themselves, they are men who learn to boast in Christ. And so then, uh, let's, let's begin with this tonight. Number one, the consecration of these four men. I've alluded to it already, but if we read, look if you would with me at Job chapter 1. It's going to be at the end of Job that Job makes his confession that he's vile. But in the beginning of Job, God's record of Job is that he was a perfect and an upright man. One that feared God and eschewed evil, and all of that was true. Uh, but let's look at Job chapter 1, just to, to read the kind of man he was when, when the Lord spoke to Job and he, and he got a clearer vision of the Lord. Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright. This is Perfect doesn't mean sinless. Perfect means he was mature, he was complete. He was a whole man, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. We could safely, after Job 1.1, call Job a consecrated man. He's a man who's been righteous, made righteous by faith. He's perfect and he's upright. He is, he is a man who's faithful in every facet of his life. He's a consecrated man. Uh, Daniel chapter, excuse me, Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. We'll just kind of breeze through these just to lay some groundwork here. And I think this is necessary so we understand the point of this tonight. It, this is Thursday night. Uh, my guess is every one of you could stand tonight and give the testimony of your personal salvation. Uh, we're not preaching this tonight to unrepentant sinners. Uh, the message tonight is geared toward consecrated people. Many of you just got back from a trip where you consecrated your time to God to serve and give out His Word. But may I say, we who are consecrated to God through salvation, even consecrated to God and serving in our lives, still have a need for a clearer view of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. I believe this. Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church, for some time now, God has been working to see us. We are in a, I would say, a transitional time. We're we're no longer a church being established. God has established this church. But we are a church that's deciding um, how we're going to relate to the Lord who saved us, how we got some young people you're moving out into life. Are you going to be serious about God? uh, Or are you going to kind of take a casual approach to Christianity? And we're seeing some men tonight who are not casual about their approach to the Lord. They were serious, and yet they, here are people who are serious, yet they were able to get a clearer view of the Lord and greater usefulness for God. I believe this. Uh, we just kind of challenge us this way tonight in a practical way. Isn't it wonderful that God has raised up a family out of this church, sent them down into another country to preach the gospel, allowing us to see some work go full circle to where they were here serving with us and now we're able to go and serve with them and see that fruit. Maybe we would be content to say, hey, praise God, Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church. God used us to send the missionary. You know what I think? I'd love to see him send a hundred out of this church. But for that to happen, it has to boil down to each one of us and our personal relationship with the Lord. That's the heart of this message tonight. I'm challenging you tonight. Where is your personal relationship with God? If we were to ask again, as we've done many times before tonight, how many of you are second or third or even some fourth generation Christians? Meaning, you're not the first person in your family to get saved. Most of us here tonight, we have generations before us who were saved. And the danger of that is familiarity breeds contempt. The four men we're looking at tonight 
were familiar with the Lord. They were actively involved in serving God before this event in their lives where their eyes were open and they were able to see some things a little more clearly. I would call it a a point of personal awakening or personal revival and it's something that we ought to desire and long for. So for it to be applied tonight, we've got to see these are not men who are sitting on the sidelines, but they were men actively involved in serving God, but they needed something more God was going to do more in their lives than already had been done in giving them what will, spiritual vision, the ability to see things as they are. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. He's going to read that verse. Here's a man who, who served the Lord through four different kings uh, in in Judah. He's a faithful man, a consecrated man. Uh, We won't take time to read it, but if you read, and you very well know, if we were to read Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, we would find that Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the portion of the king's meat and the portion of that wine. Daniel chapter uh, 6, Daniel takes a stand and continues to pray uh, uh, when he was forbidden to pray, but it's not till Daniel chapter 10 that he gets his vision of Christ. So prior to that, here's a man who's already consecrated to God. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, by the time we get to Revelation chapter 1, John has physically handled the Lord Jesus Christ. He watched him crucified on the cross. He physically observed the empty tomb, and yet he did not have a complete view of the Lord yet. The point we are making tonight is prior to the vision these men had, and I'm not talking about having some kind of a weird dream in the night. I'm talking about seeing things more clearly. The ability to to see the Lord for who He is and in the light of seeing Him, we're able to see ourselves. I believe this, the lower the view, let me try to reframe this, the more we can see ourselves in the light of truth, the less impressed we're going to be with who we are. It is truth that gives humility. You and I don't have to conjure up. There, There is a, the Bible talks about a false humility. Have you ever, ever done something like this? I started saying, have you ever heard somebody do something like this? So I'll just pick on me. I've done something like this. Somebody compliments you, and they compliment you on something you're already impressed with yourself about. Now, I know you probably don't have that, but that happens to me to where I'm actually impressed with myself. And then somebody else realizes what I've realized. Hey, I'm superior, or at least I think I am, in this area. And then they compliment it. And you, you know that you need to be humble, so you say something like this. Oh, no, 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 it's nothing. You know, I just... Praise God, and, and it's good to praise God, that's right. But how do you know there are times we, we want to come across as, no, I'm really not impressed with myself because in our heart we are, and we're trying to conceal that by sounding humble. Oh, I'm just ignorant, when inside we think, no, I'm intelligent. But we'll say, I'm ignorant, I don't, I don't know anything. And so we, we kind of, we, we take a shot at ourselves to make ourselves seem humble. That's not what we're talking about tonight. I don't believe when Job said, I am a vile man, he said that to try to make people think that he was humble. You know why Job said he was a vile man? Because he knew he was. You know why that Isaiah said, I am a man of unclean lips? Because he knew things had come from his lips that should not. He actually knew what he was in the light of God's holiness. The closer we are to God, the more we realize how just and true, and righteous He is, and that magnifies His mercy, that He would allow us to do anything for Him, that He would allow us to even communicate with Him, should blow our minds. And if we don't have that perception, there's some distance between us and the Lord. These are some of the men, the men we're going to look at tonight are men that that are closer to God. They're closer to God than I am, and yet you don't hear them boasting in any way of themselves, their view of themselves was one of contrition and and lowliness of mind because God is light and the closer to that light we become, the closer we come into the light of, of the person of God through Jesus Christ, the more clearly we see what a miracle it is that we are His children and the less impressed we can be with ourselves. I began the message by saying, ever heard somebody talk about how close they are to the Lord? Many times people say, oh, you know, the Lord revealed himself to me in this way and revealed himself in that way. And many times that's only said to try to elevate. So look at what a great person I am. 
I really believe this. People that are really, truly close to the Lord, you're not going to hear that person boasting in their relationship. What you're going to find is someone that's very humble and that's very um, appreciative that God would even use them at all. So in the consecration of these men, these are men that are sanctified. We can see that. The Bible says Job was an upright man, a perfect man, uh, feared God, eschewed evil. Daniel was a, a sanctified man. Isaiah was a sanctified man. John, the revelator, clearly a sanctified man. They're all four men serving God. When we meet Job, the Bible talks about him offering sacrifices for his children. He was a worshiper of God. Here's a man that feared the Lord, eschewed evil. Job was so faithfully serving and walking with God that he'd caught the devil's attention. He was so inclined to the ways of God that Satan had put a bullseye on him, made him a target so that he could try to get back at the Lord. Daniel was so faithful in serving the Lord that he would pray at the risk of being thrown in the lion's den. John is so faithful in serving the Lord that he has been exiled to the Isle of Patmos, meaning we see their consecration, the fact that they were sanctified unto the Lord, fear the Lord, obeying the Lord. They're serving God, writing Scripture, preaching Isaiah as a prophet. Uh, but the, each man we find... In the moment of their vision, they are suffering men. And this is to me where we begin to get an understanding of what will draw us close to God if we'll let it. Job was suffering calamity at the very hand of the devil. We find that Isaiah was suffering in, 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 under a, a corrupt culture. If you read the first five chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah's heart is heavy for the filthiness and the corruption of the culture of Judah. There was idolatry all around him. There was immorality all around him. Thus we have the word woe associated with him. And he is suffering under a, a corrupt culture. Daniel is suffering under uh, the chastisement of his nation. He's in captivity, made to be a eunuch at an early age. Uh, there were certain things in life Daniel would never experience. He had to be removed from his homeland. He was given a life he did not choose. He didn't choose to go live in a Babylonian palace. Here's a man that's suffering. He had been thrown in a den of lions for obeying God. John is suffering. He's in confinement on the Isle of Patmos, meaning the government that he was under said, you know what, if we can't silence you, we'll just put you where nobody can hear you. You know what's amazing to me? The, the Roman government said to John, we're going to silence you, and 2,000 years later, he's still preaching. God is greater than man. And so my point is this. These four men we're looking at tonight are men that were sanctified enough unto God that they were suffering by serving the Lord. You would think, what else do they need? And these are, these are like prime examples of what we ought to be. And yet every one of them were able to get a more perfect view of the Lord. And in the light of that, a more perfect view of themselves and a greater usefulness for the Lord. So that's their consecration. Now let's consider their comprehension. We've already touched on what I want to say here, but in their comprehension, there were some things in their life that was preparing them to have their eyes open to the greatness of God. How many of us tonight think my view of the Lord is consistent with who He is? So let me try to put it this way. I'm going to use a cheap illustration. Zeke, I'm going to use you if you don't mind. We went to Monterey in 2019. Um, how many ever know that you kind of get a perception of what other people think of you when you come into a group of people? So we were the country bumpkins from Idaho and Montana coming into that group, right? So we were invited to go play some soccer one night, the Americans against the Mexicans. How many know that in Mexico it's not soccer, it's football, right? We're going to play some football. Now, if we play real football, which you don't use your feet to play hardly, um, I could get in on that. But you, you get me playing soccer, and, and the, the Mexicans had us... Just no problem. These, these, these gringos are going to play soccer. But if you even know Zeke, Zeke can play some soccer. But he's the country bumpkin from Montana, so everybody's thinking he probably can't kick a ball. He can dribble that ball with his feet, right? And in a moment of time, I watched our, our fellow players on the field change their attitude toward this Montana country bumpkin. It's like, whoa, you play with us. You'd be on my team, right? Why? Because their view of him was, you're a hick from somewhere off from nowhere. Surely you don't even know what a soccer ball is. And their view changed when reality came about. He can play some soccer, right? Uh, they didn't change their view of me. I, I, I helped maintain their view. Uh, my point is this, and I said it's a cheap illustration. Many people they have a surface view of God. Oh, God's our creator. God is our savior. That's wonderful. God is the, 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 he is running the universe and we respect that. But I don't think any of us have a clue of the greatness of God. 
including me. I don't think we've even begun to scratch the surface of how great is His power. I don't think we've begun to scratch the surface of how pure and holy His character is. All we know is each other. We try to understand God based on the best human we know. That doesn't cut it. Uh, Can you even envision not one ounce of deceit in a person? Not one, none, ever, never deceitful, never modifying facts to make other people think better of them. No, 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 I don't think we have a clear view. The reason we don't worship God as we should is because we don't comprehend Him as He is. And what happened here are men, if anybody should know God closely and have an appreciation for His character, I would think it would be someone like Job who feared God. He eschewed evil. But at the end of Job, Job had a much clearer vision of God and a much more sincere worship than he did at the beginning. Daniel is a man who stood for God, but by the time Daniel 12 comes along, Daniel has a clearer view of God than he did when Daniel 1 was written. Same with John in the book of Revelation. And what happened is God used their sufferings to prepare them to have eyes that could see. If I asked you tonight, do any of you have anything in your life that causes you some level of suffering? If you live very long, you're going to have something. But here's what we want to do. In our flesh, we want a Christianity that doesn't involve suffering. And yet, God uses the suffering to perfect our faith. God uses our suffering to perfect us. And so then James 1 says... Uh, uh, not to despise sufferings. The Bible tells James chapter 1 to count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of our faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. As I study the account of these men, what jumps off the page at me is when they got their vision, Isaiah chapter 5, he's suffering Job chapter 40, he's suffering. John, Revelation chapter 1, John is suffering. And in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel was suffering. And when we come to Daniel chapter 10, Daniel had not eaten pleasant food for 21 days. He is grievous. He is on his face before God suffering. And if we're not careful, don't misunderstand me. We don't need to be like monks who go out and make ourselves suffer, depriving ourselves of the things in this life. All you've got to do is be faithful to God and you will have suffering. Yea, and all that will live God in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But you know what that suffering does? It purifies and opens our eyes to God. And the Bible says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They shall see God. And so then you find four men tonight that through their faithfulness to the Lord, it, 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 their faith in God brought grief into their lives. Some... Uh, I can't imagine suffering like Job did. What's interesting to me is Isaiah didn't suffer like Job did. His was a different kind. But nonetheless, God used the circumstances around them that caused them to suffer to prepare them for the moment where their eyes could be opened and they could see the Lord in His glory. Now, I understand we'll not see Him in all His glory until He comes, but how many of you believe tonight your worship of God has room for growth? Mine does. My love for the Lord can grow. My fear of God can grow. Thereby, if that's going to happen, my comprehension of Him has to grow. I have to say, Lord, give me eyes to see. We understand the Laodicean church. You know what's wrong with them? Do you know why Jesus could be outside knocking and not on the inside and they didn't even know or care? They had eyes but couldn't see. The Lord said, you're blind. Their lukewarmness, the callousness of their heart had caused them to lose sight of the Lord. And so tonight, perhaps you've got something in your life that's, that is it's causing you affliction. Know this, God's preparing you f- to see Him more clearly, to have a clearer vision of who He is. And so then, let's, uh, let's, let's take a look at these men very quickly. We know that in Job, Job had been throughout the book of Job. And again, it's an abbreviated message, and we're taking an overview, and I'm going to count on your knowledge of the Bible to help fill in some of these blanks in between. But there was a preparation for these men to to comprehend the Lord, but then there was a clear perception. There was a moment 
in the lives of these men where God made himself known, where in the midst of their suffering, God revealed himself. And instead of, and immediately there was some terror on part of each of these men, but instead of it killing them or terrifying them, it enabled them. And so the perception of these men was made clearer. And so let's, let's look at that. Look at Job chapter 40, if you would. Job chapter 40. If you've, Job is only 42 chapters long. So Job reads like a, a, a dramatic play of some sort. You have different people speaking. You have his so-called three friends trying to help him, uh, except they weren't trying to help him. They were condemning him. They were bringing up facts and misapplying them, accusing Job, not speaking what was right concerning the Lord. Job refused to say that God was wrong, but he said, I don't understand. The Bible says Job justified himself. Why am I suffering? I don't get it. And so then God begins to speak, Job chapter uh, 38. God begins to reason with Job. And what the Lord does, He begins to point Job to creation. I did that. I created the clouds. Uh, I, I put the, the measurements on the water. I created the ostrich the way that it is. And He just begins to point Job to the, to the, the creation work to help Job understand. Do you realize who I am, Job? Do you understand the greatness of my wisdom and the greatness of my power? And God just begins to tell Job of his mighty works so that Job might understand the might of God. Job chapter 40 verse 1, the Bible says, Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. How many a person has ever said, Why is God allowing this in my life? Meaning what we're saying is God is errant somehow. I'm too good of a person to go through what I'm going through. You know what? God let Job go through some things that Job did not deserve. How many believe that Job deserved for Satan to attack him, kill his children, have his cattle robbed, give him boils? Do we think Job deserved that? But there was one greater with greater wisdom and greater understanding. You'd see a greater uh, picture than Job could. And there was a point where Job is saying, I don't understand. Why would God do this? And God says to Job, are you going to reprove God? And if God is great enough to create all things, he's wise enough to run all things. And so verse 3, then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer, yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Verse 6, Then answered the Lord uh, unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, Gird up thy loins now like a man. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. What's going on in Job 38 and 39? God is just unfolding knowledge, knowledge, more knowledge of who he is and his wisdom and his power and his righteousness. And when Job gets an opportunity to speak, you know what he says? God, I am seeing how great you are. I am vile. You know what he's saying? How many of you think that Job had a right to question what God was doing? We would all give him that, wouldn't we? But Job said, I'm wrong. I should have never done it. I should have never even questioned your wisdom in allowing what's, what's going on in my life. Now, I'm going to tell you, if I lost, I have the same number of children Job did, 10. And if I lost all 10 of them tonight, and I went home, my house was burned down, and my cars were burned up, and I had no clothes left but the ones on my back, and I looked down, I got boils breaking out all over my body. I would think, what did I do to deserve this? You know what Job says? To question God in that moment is wrong. God is so great and God is so true and God is so faithful that if we lose everything in this life, the eternal God is still good. You know what happened in Job's life? He suffered and that suffering opened his heart up to a faith in God that he had never had before. Unquestioning. Job did say in the midst of Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And yet at the end, the only people I would say need to say I'm vile were his three so-called friends. But Job said, I'm vile. I've spoken, and what I said was wrong. I, just, I wasn't right. And that's in the light of God's presence, meaning when we get a clearer perception of God, we'll be fully convinced that the Lord is our rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are judgment. He's a God of truth without iniquity. Just and right is He. Deuteronomy 32.4. Job prepared for this, gets a perception of God that God is never wrong, including when his judgments bring suffering into my life. And so Job's perception of God, we'll come back to his confession here in just a moment. Isaiah chapter 6, if you would, 
We're just watching the point where the eyes of these men are open to the Lord. Isaiah chapter 6, you're very familiar with this text. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, In the year that the king Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Uh, then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tong- with tongs from off the altar. And he laid upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Let's read Daniel chapter 10. I just want to talk about the perception of these men. In the light of seeing God more clearly, you immediately find they see themselves clearly. Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. If you read Daniel 9, Daniel has used all of chapter 9 to confess his sins and the sins of his people. But Daniel chapter 10 verse 4 says, In the 4 and 20th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river which is Hittakel, then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of euphaz. His body also was like the barrel, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone and saw this great vision. And what happened? There remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. You know what he says in verse 8? He said, my comeliness, that which is... is comeliness has the idea of that which is, is appealing, that which is, is nice to look upon. He said, what I could see in me before that said, you know, I I like this about myself. It was turned into corruption. When Daniel saw himself, he abhorred himself. I can't believe what I am. Wretched man that I am. I believe this. We're beginning to see this pattern. It's what I want to see tonight. That as these men see the Lord, Isaiah, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Then said I, woe is me. Job hears God speak out of the whirlwind. And prior to that, God is communicating with him about his greatness. And Job says, I am a vile man, I'm wrong. And out of this, we find Revelation chapter 1. We read it already when John gets the same vision that Daniel did in Daniel chapter 9. He said, I fell at his feet as a dead man. You know what? I believe one of the marks that we're getting nearer to God is we can say, I'm rotten through and through. You know why? Because it's true. In our flesh, Paul is not using rhetoric when he says, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. You know what? And again, these are, you say, well, isn't that what happened when I got saved? Yes, and you got saved. You were convicted as a sinner deserving of hell. But how many of us, after getting saved, might think, you know what, because I'm saved, uh, you know what, I, I'm now a pretty good person. I, I like what I am. We live our lives trying to get to the point where we're pleased with ourselves. The only thing that makes me pleasing to God is my position in Christ Jesus. Me in Christ, and Christ in me. Before God in heaven, it's me in Christ. And before men on earth, it's Christ in me. There's nothing that pleases God. The only thing that pleases Him is perfect righteousness. And that's got to be the Lord Jesus Christ. My point is this tonight, though. I don't believe as Christians we're going to be where we need to be as far as usefulness until we have an accurate view of who we are. If we're able to serve God tonight, it's by the mercies of God. Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. God doesn't use us tonight because He's impressed with us. God uses us tonight to the level we are impressed with Him. Can can, can I say that again? God does not use us at the level that He is impressed with us. Oh, Nevin, I'm impressed with your Bible reading. Wow, I'm impressed with your prayer life. What a prayer warrior you are. No, you know, the level of our usefulness will be 
it will be consistent with our level of how impressed we are with Him. God is the one that's righteous. God is the one that's holy. God is the one that's good. God is the one that's faithful. God is the one that's true. God is the one who's full of mercy. God is the one who's long-suffering. God is the one of compassion. You and I are none of those things except Christ be in us. And not only does He need to be in us, He needs to fill us. And here I find four men who their usefulness was greater when they came to the point of being more impressed with God and utterly unimpressed with themselves. And by the way, you can't snap your fingers and say, okay, I'm going to get unimpressed with myself. No, no, you have to get in the light of God's Word near to the Lord. And then the light shined on us. We're able to see things as they truly are. And so let's come to our next point, and we'll, we'll wrap up as quickly as we can here. We've already alluded to this as well. We've seen their comprehension. Out of their comprehension comes a confession. As we've said before, Job says in Job chapter 40, verse 2, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Job chapter 42, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. You know why Job knew that? Because God was answering his thoughts. God was was answering the things Job thought about God. God said, you thought this, what about this? And you thought this, what about this? And so Job goes on to say in Job 42, verse 3, Who is he that hideth counsel uh, without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not, things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak, I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself. What did he say? I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Let's take a poll tonight. What did Job have to repent of? Was he an adulterer? No, he said, I've made a covenant with mine eyes not to think upon a maid. Was he a drunkard? No, he didn't turn to drinking. He went and sat in ashes and scraped himself. Was he a thief? No, he was a giver. What did Job have to repent of? He wasn't thinking rightly about God. In his mind, he felt that God had done him wrong somehow. Let me ask you this. When has God ever wronged anyone in the history of humanity? Never. Not once. So if ever we begin to entertain, well, I think I am being dealt with unjustly by God, we need to know there's some repentance needed on our part. And so then Job said, I repent. I abhor myself. I repent in dust and ashes. If Job needed repentance, what do you reckon? Us too? Yeah, us too. Then Isaiah says, woe is me. That's his confession. I'm a man of unclean lips. Why do he say that? He said, because I've seen the Lord and he is holy. Daniel says uh, in Daniel chapter 10 uh, that he had no strength in himself. Again, uh, let, me, let me read these words. He says in Daniel chapter 10, uh, verse 9, Yet heard I the voice of his words. When I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face and my face toward the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me up upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Uh, Verse 12, then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words." Uh, back before that, he says, verse 7, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision for the men that were with me, saw not the vision, but great quaking fell upon them. Verse 8, Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, and my comeliness was turned in me into corruption. Again, John, his response, I fell at his feet as a dead man. The whole point is this, in the light of the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatness of God, Instead of men being more impressed themselves, what we find in the world we're living in is a Christianity, and it's not Christianity. It teaches men, it flatters men. It flatters men. You're, you're, you're really, you know, you know what humanism says? You are at your core, you're good. At your core, you're good. You know what the Bible says? At our core, we're evil. We need the mercy of God. We find men that were so near to God, they were not... And again, in a world that looks for heroes, you know what? It's very unwise to say, oh, this great man. You know what? God is great. Men are not. And it is a great thing that God would let us serve him. Amen? And so we find their confession is God is great, God is holy, God is wise. 
I am unclean. I am vile. My comeliness is turned into me into corruption. Job said, I abhor myself. And so we find that nearness to God brings death to self. That's the truth. And finally, and by the way, it's only through Christ that we're near God. It's through His shed blood, pardoning our sins. It's through His priesthood on our behalf, His life for us that draws us near and opens our understanding to who the God the Father truly is. And so then finally, the continuance of these men. We'll just speak of this. I'm not going to read any more verses. If you look, Job chapter 42, after Job gets a vision of God, Job's confession of himself. No, his friends had been trying to tell him, you're vile, but they were falsely accusing him. It was not in the light of false accusation that he acknowledged. It was in the light of the truth of God's righteousness that he said, I'm vile. And then God tells Job, he says, you know what? I'm not pleased with your friends. My wrath is kindled. You pray for your friends. You know what? Job has a greater ministry in Job 42 than he did in Job 1. We find Job 42 ending with Job praying for his friends. We find God giving him double of what he had before. Ten more children, twice as much cattle. He restored everything that Satan took twofold. So we find Job more fruitful than ever he had been. May I say this? It is the... Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. I believe this. This one I believe is, is, is a great part of this message tonight. Many a child of God draws back from following the Lord Jesus Christ because the Lord Jesus Christ will lead us through dark valleys that allow us, you know, where light shines the brightest? In the darkness. And in the darkness of the affliction of these men, they were able to see God as they had never seen Him before. And out of that came a fruitfulness. Daniel would finish Daniel chapter 11 and 12. And we have that great book of prophecy out of his experience of a dark time where God communed with him. His eyes were opened to how good God is. Isaiah the prophet was used in a mighty way, all of these men, to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. But they had to go through the suffering to get them to that point where they could see more clearly. And tonight, as the Lord leads you, one of the, I believe this with all of my being as a child of God, the number one deterrent of sanctified living is the fear of suffering. It's an absolute fact. In my own life, I've watched the temptation to draw back from obedience to Christ because I will suffer mocking. People will ridicule me. They'll ostracize me. Uh, they'll think this of me. I'll lose opportunity uh, in the workplace. I'll, I'll be jeered at. I'll be thought as one of those weirdos, one of those fanatics. <laughs> the fear of suffering. And it's the very thing that would make us most useful for God and tonight, especially with the number of young people that God has placed in this church, you're at a point where you're having to decide, am I going to appease a world that hates God or am I going to please God and go through the suffering that comes with it that I might know Him? You're going to have to choose where your affections lie. With the Lord Jesus who died for you or with the world that killed Him? You have to choose where your loyalty lies. And what often we, causes us to draw back is we say, well, I look at Job and... I look at Daniel, but friend, look at the rest of the story. John in Revelation is at the feet of the Lord Jesus as a dead man. Do you realize not one of these men did God let them stay in their suffering? In that they see him and he pulls them up. John, he lays his right hand on him. Same thing with Daniel. He says, fear not, Daniel. The Lord says to John, fear not, John. You know what God's saying? I'm not done with you. Death itself is not the end of you. It is the beginning of Christ in you. It's then that the Lord can do a work through you when you get to the point where you say, there's no reason God should use me. And God says, no, there's not, but I'm willing to anyway. And we find that out of this, Job continued to serve God. Isaiah continued to preach and prophesy and wrote another 47 chapters after chapter 6 that God has used mightily. You know where chapter 53 comes from? That wonderful chapter we love? A man who said, I, woe is me. Woe is me. And Daniel would prophesy and the Bible says he prospered greatly into the reigns of other kings. He would stand before Belshazzar and all these kings. And my point is this tonight. John would go on and pen the rest of the book of Revelation and God used him in a mighty way. But there was a point in their lives in the midst of the suffering where their eyes were open to the Lord. Listen tonight. So many of you, uh, Satan will use the fear of suffering to deter you away from your Savior. Don't buy his lies. It's in that that the Lord 
gets you to a place where you can be used mightily. And tonight we find these four men, like John Revelation 1, and and I, I believe there's a number of ways to apply to us tonight. How impressed are you tonight? How impressed am I tonight with the Lord? Is our worship mere words? I don't mean to. I, I don't. I don't mean to be uh, unkind here, but we ought. To, we ought to ask when we sing the hymns. Are we just muttering words, or do we really believe that the Lord is gracious and merciful? When was the last time we got a good, clear glimpse through His Word of what a miracle it is that I'm not burning in hell today? When was the last time we got a, a, a fresh stir of the fact that why would God use me? When I think about the thoughts that have passed through my mind in the last 36 hours, why would God mess with someone like me? Why? And it's not because I'm good. Because He is. How many of us want to have the usefulness of John? You know, John didn't stay on the Isle of Patmos. Before the book of Revelation was done, he said, you're going to go prophesy before many people. You're not done. And God got him back off that aisle, and he finished his ministry elsewhere. Every one of these men continued with greater ministry after a clearer vision of the Lord. Now, I say this tonight, probably one of the, one of the clearest gauges of my proximity and my fellowship with the Savior is do I spend much of my time Impressed with me, defending myself, or am I at a point where I say, you know what? And by the way, I believe you can have a point where, oh, you're so impressed with who the Lord is and His mercy, and yet lose sight of that. May we ask the Lord tonight, Lord, give me a clear vision of you. How many of us may say, but what will have to happen? Well, I don't know, but I know His grace is sufficient. I will not fear, for Thou art with me. I rod thy staff comfort me. I'm going to go ahead and stop tonight. We need to be done. I think the message, I, I pray and hope it's clear enough that if tonight our worship of the Lord is not where it ought to be, it has to do with, with us seeing Him as He is. Would you pray this with me tonight? Lord, would you help me to see you as you are so that I can see me as I am so you can do with me what you want to do. Amen. Mm-hmm.